Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to another stay-at-home digital podcast for our Sunday morning service. Glad that you've chosen to tune in today and just trusting that our message today will be meaningful for your life and your walk with Jesus. Today we are going to begin walking through some of the stories in the book of Judges. Last week we introed the book, and uh, this week we're going to start moving through it story by story, trusting that uh, as we read these stories, as we study them, that God's Spirit will just bring revelation to us, uh, why these stories have been recorded for us, and what they can teach us about God, about ourselves, and about living in His kingdom. I'm here today with Betty Hayes in the studio, and uh, Betty and I are going to be going through the very uh, first chapter of Judges. And uh, Betty, why don't you kick things off? Sure, I'd love to. So our book picks up after the death of Joshua, the leader who followed Moses and oversaw Israel's conquest of Canaan. His life is really a story of victory because of his obedience to God, and through that obedience, Israel was established in the Promised Land. Earlier in Exodus 33, we see Joshua hanging out outside the tent of meeting, the place where Moses met with God. All the people would watch while Moses would go into the tent and the pillar of the cloud would descend over the entrance. And at this manifestation of God's presence, the people would fall down and worship. Verse 11 says, Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Joshua is a leader who is faithful to God. He lingers even in his younger years, in the Lord's presence. He leads by obeying God. Yeah, so Israel as a nation has had these two dynamic leaders. They've had Moses, who's talking to God face to face, and then they have this other next leader is Joshua, who is a faithful servant of the Lord as well, seems to be uh, someone who lives closely with the Lord, loves his presence, and is certainly faithful to do the things that God calls him to do. And then after he dies there is a bit of a leadership gap in Israel. And so in Judges chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we start reading about how this gap gets filled. Judges chapter 1, verse 1 says, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? So here we see Israel at least getting off on the right foot immediately after Joshua's death. They are sensitive to wanting to be obedient to God, looking to God, asking him, uh, what should we do? Uh, You could maybe describe this as sowing seeds of obedience. Uh, Scripture leans heavily into farming examples quite often, and so this idea of sowing seeds and obedience, uh, seeds of obedience will bring a harvest of victory, and really is in many ways a theme of the book of Joshua and Joshua's leadership. We Uh, We sow seeds of obedience through our actions, and then God rewards us with a harvest of victory. Anyhow, the Lord answers the people asking, he says, Judah shall go up first, the tribe of Judah. I have given the land into their hands. And so the men of Judah then said to the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, will come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. And we in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. And when Judah attacked... The Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. 
So Israel's in the promised land. They've conquered a lot of territory. There's still some people to drive out. There's still some territory to conquer after Joshua passes away. And what we're reading here is simply an account of them beginning to go on the offensive and and conquer some more territory. So we can really see how their obedience led to victory in many, many cases. Um, A constant theme throughout the Old Testament is that God always blesses obedience. Verse 5 says, It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Okay, so I read these kinds of things in Scripture, and and the book of Judges is full of them. And and I read about someone's toes and uh, big toes and thumbs getting cut off, and honestly, my stomach turns. I mean, I'm thinking in my head, why would anyone do this? Uh, This would not be acceptable by any modern standards. If you read about something like this happening, you would think only a complete sicko would be capable of doing something like this. And and so the question it kind of raises in my mind is, oh my goodness, were all of God's people complete sickos? And of course, the question we've challenged you to ask throughout the story of the book of Judges is, why is this story being told to us? And so I, I read about uh, King Ad, Ad, or Adonai uh, Bezek getting his thumbs and toes cut off, and I, and I am disgusted, and I can't imagine why this story would even be in Scripture. One thing that will help a little bit is to, to give it some cultural context. These were, of course, very different times. Uh, that doesn't excuse their behavior. Uh, I don't believe that cutting off big toes was ever God's intention for his children, but it at least helps us understand behavior. It, it contextualizes it so that that behavior is is a little bit more understandable. Again, I don't I don't mean it's right, um, but the idea that this happened a long time ago can help us maybe understand why it happened or why people would do this. Um, so, what could have possessed the men of Judah to do such a terrible thing to this? Canaanite king. Well, the next part of the story does give us some insight into that. Verse 7 says, Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table, and now God has paid me back for what I did to them. And then they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there, probably from bleeding out of his thumbs and toes. Anyhow, so here we have Lord Bezek thinking about what has happened to him, and as he's reflecting on his own life and how he came to be in this thumbless, toeless state, he has a realization. It's like he says to himself, I had done the same thing to 70 other Canaanite kings. There was a time for Lord Bezek when the 70 cities around him had been subjugated by his armies, and he had brought in the rulers of those cities to crawl around, humiliated and mutilated under his table. Um, and, and I'm sure there was a time in the midst of all that that he thought to himself, wow, this violence is really working out for me. And we know that particularly in, in military warfare back in the day that these stories were written, that this was a common thing to take a leader, to mutilate him, humiliate him, and, and then uh, parade him out or, or put him on public display in, in some kind of humiliating way. And it, and it, and it was meant to reflect on how uh, rich and powerful the, the victor was. And so I'm sure in, in the moment when he's eating dinner with the unappetizing sight of all these other kings crawling around, I don't know. Anyhow, he's thinking to himself, wow, 
I'm living my best life. I've taken what I wanted from those around me. I've destroyed or maimed anyone who stood in my way and it all worked out. I totally got away with it. But then now here he is, a victim of Israel's violence, and he says to himself in this moment that his thumbs and his big toes are removed, it's like he realizes that, oh, I thought I got away with it all, but I didn't really get away with it. He realizes the bill has now come due and the bill still has his name on it and now he has to pay. It seems that, so he says to himself, it seems that just as I sowed seeds of violence and humiliating and, and maiming of others all of my life, now I am reaping a harvest of violent, humiliating, maiming myself. So it's interesting, the irony of this story. It's that Adonai Bezak, owns his sin. He thinks about it. He reflects on it. The pagan king owns his sin in the beginning of a story where God's people will spend generations denying their sin. God's people are outperformed by the outsiders all too often. In his realization, Adonai Bezek says, God did this to me. And in a sense, it's true. But let's look at you know what makes this true. Is it true because God reached down from heaven and he cut the guy's thumbs and big toes off? Well, of course not. Did God tell Judah to maim the king? We don't have any record of that. Adonai Bezek's realization that God did this to me is true because it is God who created a universe where we tend to reap what we sow. This can be positive or it can be negative, depending on what we're sowing. This concept's mentioned several other places in scripture. I I think of Paul's letter to the Galatians when when he writes in chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And then the apostle writes, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who belong to the family of believers. I think when Paul wrote these words to the church in Galatia, the words were meant to encourage people who who were maybe growing weary of doing good. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but but that sentiment that might develop in your mind where you say, "I I am sowing good seed, I'm living submitted to the Lord, I'm living humbly towards others, I'm living generously towards others, and yet it seems that I'm never getting ahead. And then maybe you look around at the world around you and you see people getting ahead that it just doesn't seem that they're living right. And you're thinking, Lord, why are the wicked prospering? Well, I'm falling further and further behind. And so Paul's letter, these words of scripture speak to people who are struggling through those kinds of things and says, don't worry, God is not going to be mocked. He cannot be mocked. He made a world where seeds that are planted reproduce after their own kind, and you can't plant an apple tree and get a pear tree. Don't kid yourselves. You will reap what you sow. You cannot sow evil in the world around you and not reap evil on yourselves. And so I think there's a few things we can learn from Adonai Bezek. Uh, I think the first thing is that we really should be sowing carefully. Um... I think that we don't want to just be scattering careless, heartless seeds of, of violence or selfishness or, um, or the like around us, or God won't be mocked. We will be reaping that kind of a harvest. I think the other thing that Adonai Bezek teaches us is that we uh, need to really own those things that we have sown. 
my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would wake us up to what we have sown before the harvest is ready to be reaped. We believe that Jesus changes everything. We believe that Jesus is building a different kind of kingdom and that he doesn't rule like the kings in the book of Judges did by humiliating the other kings. And he doesn't rule by striking down his enemies. And and he doesn't achieve peace by use of violence. The Son of God came into our world and disrupted that cycle of violence and disrupted those structures of power, uh, not by overpowering them with his own versions, but by offering up his own life as a sacrifice. One passage that was quoted last week was from Colossians chapter 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus made peace through dying for humanity rather than by wiping humanity out. (laughs) The flood story teaches us that wiping people out doesn't always solve the problem. It took someone willing to sacrifice rather than someone willing to kill to achieve peace. So we turn to this one, the one who brings peace, and we cry out for mercy. Lord, let it not be done to us according to what we deserve. May we reap a harvest according to what you have done. We stand in our field and we acknowledge seeds we had sown, that if we only knew what they would grow into, we would never have planted those seeds. And we say, Lord, help us. Help us replant. Help us weed out. Help us tend to and manage this world that you created for us the way that you created us to rule over it. I think of the story of Adonai Bezek and and him having to reap what he has sown. And, and one of the the most beautiful expressions of the gospel is in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians where he talks about this God who is reconciling people to himself and that he's no longer counting men's sins against them. I said earlier, Jesus changes everything. And while the rule is that we weep what we sow, in Christ, God is revealed as the merciful one who at times allows us to reap what he has sown rather than what we have sown if we'll repent and live his way. You know, James, it occurs to me that the idea of repentance doesn't get talked a lot about today. Um, We're a society that's always on the go and typically forward or future thinking. So I'd like to take a minute and encourage the people to take some time with Jesus, to reflect on life, on their own lives, on the world, and allow the Holy Spirit to bring up things that may need to be dealt with before God, kind of like Bezek did. Joshua stood outside the tent of meeting while Moses spoke with God, but later we see Joshua on his face in reverence to God. We don't have to hang out on the fringes. We can hear the Lord speaking to us and respond in humility, just as Moses and Joshua did. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the examples we have in Scripture of of men and women who, who came before you on their faces. Uh, trusting you, looking to you, believing that you are a good and merciful God, um, coming before you and believing that you're the God who sustains life and who has good plans for his people. Uh, We pray that you would just be speaking to each of us in the midst of the fields that we are managing, in the midst of the seeds we're sowing and the harvest that we're reaping, uh, that you would be turning our hearts towards you and towards your kingdom Uh, ways, and that you would be helping us to be sowing seeds of your kingdom everywhere. Um, We ask that you would uh, just cover those seeds that we have sown uh, 
that are not of your kingdom and that you would deliver us from having to reap that harvest, that we could uh, enjoy the harvest of the good things that you have done and uh, the work that you have accomplished in, uh, in being our Savior. And so we just look to you, we praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.